alternatives my name is mitch goldman be here with you tonight till 9 p.m oh we got a good one oh, oh. 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 you know how we do this that uh not all the time but sometimes when it's a good monday we do the show we call deep focus and we bring a guest into the studio and we Put the lockdown on an artist of that guest's choice. And if we're really lucky, we find some unreleased live recordings. And we're really, really lucky there. It's a great smoking band on a killer night. And I think we got the holy triumvirate working tonight. My guest tonight, welcome to the studio, Bill Ware. Yay, cue the laugh track. <laughs> Engineer? Oh, wait. No laugh track? I'm, right. I'm firing that guy, man. <laughs> I can't stand him. The sound of one hand. <laughs> I've been stuck with that engineer for Yay. years. <laughs> uh, Bill Ware, if you don't know, you should. Vibraphonist, composer, great musician, local hero. And Bill uh, did not take you long. We started having this conversation to bring up the name of tonight's subject who are we talking about tonight we're talking about uh the great pianist composer musician horace silver why horace silver yeah i don't hear that much about don't hear enough about horace silver lately i wonder why he changed his name to silver yes maybe that was that was a thing in the 50s you know people sort of like homogenized their stuff oh yeah you know and I remember uh, recently I met a musician, and he, he kind of changed his name because so many people were saying it wrong that he got tired of it, and he just went with what was wrong. But he was born Silva. Yes, yes. I did read that. Yes. I did my biographical. I, I made it through like four lines <laughs> of Wikipedia before I started <laughs> falling asleep. <laughs> Horace Silver, you know, it's funny. Uh, his family, his father's family was from Cape Verde. Yes, and um, I've, I've actually been to Cape Verde and met a few Verdeans. And knowing that, to look at him, it's really obvious that, you know, there's kind of a distinctive look among those people. And he had that look. Yeah. And, uh, but I guess, you know. Jeans. Yeah. But not a common ethnicity. Yeah. And people probably, like you said, were just munching it up all the time. But uh, it's uh, Portuguese. Uh, colony in history, and Silva, yeah. Portuguese name, but yeah, became Americanized to Silver. Yeah, but he had he had a, a very distinctive style and a unique place in the history of the music too. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, one of the uh, early architects of uh, of the, for lack of a better term, bebop movement. Um, but uh, we're uh, focusing on him. Why, you might ask? Why? Why? <laughs> of all the uh, things you and actually, I could be doing I, right I'm now. Sure, I'm sure many uh, jazz musicians are saying, why not? Because <laughs> uh, Horace Silver is just... Uh, just one of the heroes. Um, well, I, we picked him because, uh, well, I, I personally, it, it made sense for me to talk about him because I, I'm not really a, a historian, historian type of uh, researcher, but um, I'm certainly no Phil Schapp. And I won't tell you about like what color his underwear were on <laughs> September fifth at the second we'll, session of the, we'll with Charlie Parker. We'll I get, won't we'll tell get you. Phil in to consult on that. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to consult <laughs> him about that. But um, uh, I I uh, go through my little crazes of of I'm more like a music scientist almost as certainly as much as I am a musician and performer and composer, uh, and I really. Sometimes I hear something or I find something. Life tends to lead me on on my musical journey, and I just kind of let it drive me where it needs to, where I wherever it sends me. So it, it's not a lot of conscious effort on my part that way. But I kind of had an idea for a project, and I'm not a great piano, not such a great piano player. Um, I'm Hunt and Peck, as I say. <laughs> I studied with Hunt and Peck when it comes to <laughs> piano. Same as my typing, but uh, uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to uh, kind of get inside the piano a little more, and I listened to a lot of players, and I, I did some studying of different players, of course, over the years, and Monk, and 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 uh, uh, Herbie Hancock, and uh, Bud Powell, and. But mostly I've always studied horn players because it's more um, the, uh, the, the single line solo has always been my quest for perfection. So um, comping less so. Uh, but as I do more trio things and more gigs where I'm the comper, um, I wanted to deepen my comping ability also on vibes, and so I wanted to pick someone that related that way. And out of all the guys that I really love, Horace Silver's music drew me to him. So I spent a, several months uh, studying his uh, piano playing, and and so when we tossing around artists that one stuck in my head and I have some of my some of my own uh, versions of what we'll spend the next three hours talking about and uh, that way I, ha I actually have something to say on the matter in terms of at least in terms of the notes if not so much about him personally that's what counts, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, that's that's my deep focus. Yeah, I'm all about the notes. Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, we did have some stuff in the KCR archives that I think yeah. will be enlightening for the folks. We're going to be going down to the half note, so we're going to get in the uh, KCR time machine and uh, 
set the dial for 1966. All right. Don't slip and set it for like 1666 because I'm, I'm screwed. You're all right, but I'm done. I don't know, man. I'm not <laughs> They'll be so running sure. here, grab me, and put me in chains and whatnot. I'll just end up in an ice field, so yeah. don't worry. <laughs> it's not looking good for you guys no, then. No. So, um, but in 1966, uh, the half note was a club down on uh, – on Hudson Street. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But uh, this was a, a radio broadcast. And uh, on a Friday night, Horace Silver leading the group. And these, if you're a big Horace Silver fan, you're going to go, whoa, that's his group with those guys. He's got Joe Henderson on tenor saxophone, Woody Shaw on the trumpet, Larry Ridley on the bass, Roger Humphreys on the drums. Should we uh, Should we hit it? Yeah. Hit yes. It. And it roll. On WKCR, live music from Horace Silver. It's Deep Focus, our guest Bill Ware. One is Joe Henderson, a thing he calls Mo Joe. From the Cape Verdean Blues. On Blue Note.
Lamar Silva, the quintet, one of the tunes from the Cape Verdean Blues album, which has just been released on Blue Note, written by Joe Henderson, our fine tenor saxophonist called Mojo. I'll repeat the personnel. Larry Ridley, our bassist. Let's hear a nice round of applause for Larry, our bassist. And Woody Shaw on trumpet. Woody? And Joe Henderson, of course, beautiful tenor man. The fabulous young, fine drummer from Pittsburgh, Roger Humphreys on drums. And uh, while we're uh, talking about drummers, I know we have another great drummer in the house who works with Miles Davis Quintet. Nice hand for Anthony Williams, who is with us here tonight. Anthony sitting in the corner there. And the fabulous Horace Silver. Horace. Usually I get the names of the tunes that we present on our show, but uh, Horace is the kind of a cat likes to talk, you see. <laughs> he has a nice voice, as you can tell by some of the LPs that have been released on Blue Nose. So, Horace, what's the next tune? Wait, Horace, before you answer that, it's so nice having uh, Alan Grant doing, doing the show for us. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Mitch Goldman, and this is WKCR. <laughs> but uh, we really are lucky because um, it was just another Friday night, and... Uh, Turned out to be an incredible night of music that we're talking about here tonight. We call the show Deep Focus. Bill Ware is our guest in the studio. And, uh, Bill, you've spent a lot of time with Horace Silver's music. And uh, I, it's been a while since I really zeroed in on him. And there's a lot going on here. Maybe you can kind of unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I... I uh, I guess you could say a lot. I'm sure there's other piano players who spent a lot more time <laughs> with our silver than I have. But I, I, I like to pick an artist. And, and actually, it was a toss-up, as we were talking about before, uh, off the air. Um, it was a toss-up for me to study him or Monk. I mean, they're both amazing geniuses with, with uh, <clears throat> you know, long history of, compositions and playing that's just uh, well worth studying so um, but uh, one time I, I I had a cassette <laughs> back in the day mm -hmm. I think it was 1989 I was heading out to Chicago I had to drive out there to meet the rest of the band that was already there doing another show with somebody else but I was going to come out there because a my repair guy the last bastion of the Deegan Instrument Company. <laughs> He's up there in a warehouse, giant warehouse. He's only got one little part of it, but the rest is all offices, law offices. And um, so I was going to make this like a three-for-one. I had a little business because I had a day job in those days, and I also had my vibes to repair, and I had a gig. So so I thought I, I would uh, do some deep focus on, mm -hmm. uh, on Monk, and I had this one cassette. So I listened to that cassette all the way there. Wow. It's a 14 hour drive, yeah. you know. So um this is a lot. Of, and it just I only had the one cassette, so I just played it over and over and over. By the time I got there, I knew every note and that night on our gig the rest of the band was flabbergasted because I sounded 
a lot, like Monk, all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> out of the blue, like, what? <laughs> so I, I have the ability to sort of like really sit with something for a while and absorb it, even though I hadn't really done some in-depth studying, just listening. But uh, uh, so I listened to Horace for a while, and I listened to Monk, and I listened to some Bud Powell, and I was like, no, I think... Really, and Horace has this catalog of music that really hasn't. There's a lot of tunes that that people don't play. So, you know, he has the popular one, "Song for My Father," his big hits that people play, "Peace," and uh, lots of others that 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 are well known and people play. But there's a lot that hasn't been played. So I thought, oh, this is perfect. And then I I, I set up a criterion for my study. So. Uh, and of course, at the end, I usually like to have a project at the end of my studies, and that's kind of the whole point to inform my, myself personally and to inform my music that so that I can then put something out there that to uh, invite other people into my little world, and that's what my records are usually about. So, uh, so I, I started setting up criteria for the project, and um, first I was going to study Horace Silver. Uh, and uh, I, I do it a lot with computer, and I do all my studying of m- other musicians and, and other aspects of music uh, with the computer. So I set up, I started setting up some criterion to, to send me in a direction. And that was the first part was studying Horace. I spent about, I don't know, six months or so, three months, four months, I don't even, <laughs> I don't know. I just go until something little, that little voice that told me to start tells me to stop. Right. <laughs> I could you could you could spend in a lifetime studying yeah. one musician if you want to. So you got to have a little cutoff point. So I, I, I sort of make a mental note like, all right, I'm gonna get like ten tunes, and then I'll stop or something like that. I think I ended up with twelve of his tunes, and uh, and I studied him on computer. How I do that is uh, first I I take his audio recordings and I drop those in the computer and. Uh, and then, in terms of single line, I like to separate that from the comping and orchestrating behind other players. So then I, I, I the single line for me is the most fun. <laughs> like a kid in a candy store, that's the first thing I go to. What's he doing here? So I transcribe a lot of single lines because I just wanted to understand his swing. And for non-musicians out there, uh, to me, the swing is measured by the distance of one note and the next note in a in a in your standard swinging line, which is made up of a string of triplets and all kinds of other little delicious things. But mostly, it's about the triplets. Did you hear that? People ask you what does swing mean, <laughs> and nobody ever dares to give a real answer. And Bill Ware just actually told you what to say when somebody asks you. So I hope you were listening, or recording, or both. I'm sure there are at least a thousand musicians out there that are going, no, that's not it. (laughs) There are a lot of different interpretations of all kinds of things music-wise, and and theoreticians can sit around and... uh, Say no, no, it's an F sharp minor seven <laughs> flatted fifth. No, it's not. It's a raised thirteenth, fourteenth. So uh, everybody has their own interpretations of what what things are, should be called or what. But um, for me, and for my study purposes, 
that that's an it's an interesting study is the distances between notes and it's very easy to do on a computer nowadays all you have to do is is mock the solo up with midi and that's you know that's the computer reading what you're playing back to you basically for people who might not know and uh, you play it into the computer and then you can move the notes around change the articulations uh, and there are a lot of you know parameters there that you can then move the notes around and when you have his playing copied exactly the midi is a very the digital sounds of piano is very thin compared to a recording an acoustic piano so the midi which is lacking in harmonics uh uh, usually disappears actually if you get the notes perfectly placed mm. timing wise the midi tends to disappear so it's a weird sonic thing that happens so anyways uh when 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 all of your notes are gone and all you're hearing is his then you know you have it copied exactly it's a very tedious time consuming process where i go through one bar at a time getting every single note happening in the recording on midi yeah, once I have all that done, and uh, you know, one, one, you get faster as, at it as 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 the project goes along. But uh, it could take one solo could could could, could take uh, a couple of days. Bill, I think I'm going to change the name of the show to Average Focus because <laughs> I think you've just taken Deep Focus. It's like so much deeper than I ever managed to get. Yeah, oh, yeah well, I, you know, it's easy to get crazy with the computer because, first of all, you're just sitting there, you know. Back in the day, you had to grab a piece of paper and a pencil and you had a little, if you were lucky, you had a very speed recorder, tape recorder. If you were unlucky, you did it with a turntable and lifting the needle and getting in the right spot and, and repeating f- repeating one bar was just impossible. So you had to you had to kind of do eight bars, you know, sixteen bars at a time or four bars of your life because you couldn't even get the needle back to that spot. Right. So you people oh, became famous for their ability to do yes, this to do that. People like among musicians, yeah, there was exactly and they they made money at it. Yeah, and it yeah, was like yeah. a thing. Yeah, it was a real it was a thing. Um, but na- nowadays, uh, it's a lot easier. So you can really do some extensive research. So I, I, I then made a, a template for his feel. And then I set apart about to uh, pick apart what he actually did, giving any mu- in different musical situations. And I mean musical situations, I just mean strictly in terms of the chords and the melody, mostly the chords, what he was doing. Uh, rhythmically and uh, technically on the piano. And he has some very distinctive uh, things that he does on the piano, especially with his left hand, uh, that I wanted to study. So I, I, I start to make little templates. Okay, when he came to this kind of chord, he did this and this and this. So I got three for that kind of chord. I got two or three for this kind of chord. I got two or three or four for this kind of chord. You built a Frankenstein. I built, yeah, I built a uh, a a, a, mo- a mo- I was able to then take that information and transfer it to one of my songs, and that's where my project comes in, uh, uh, and and basically have a sort of a computer uh, like a digital character almost you know, wow. the same way uh, you would you know they, they would make a cartoon 
you know, and, yeah. and based on the, they, they might put movement sensors on someone yeah. and then they make the movements about by getting, making, I don't know, algorithms, whatever they, however yeah. they do it in that process. Well, I did the similar thing. So I basically have, I made two CDs worth of, rec- of music and I basically have two CDs <laughs> <laughs> and I call my, my creation, uh, I call them horror is quick. <laughs> so, you know, I like it. Ah, uh, you are hearing the uh, insight of Bill Ware here on WKCR. We call the show Deep Focus, and the subject of Deep Focus tonight is Horace Silver. Um, we just heard one live track. We're going to hear some more from um, a Friday night in New York City, 1966. What did people hear, and maybe even looking ahead to what they might hear in the next track, um, the kinds of things that you drew out of these recordings of Horace Silver? What is he doing at the piano? Okay, um, one thing that is kind of led me down this path is I've been doing a lot. I moved out to New Jersey, and uh, there aren't that many jazz gigs out there. And uh, but there are quite a few jam sessions, and some of them pretty good. And so I've been doing a lot of these little jam sessions. There's a, there's a club five minutes from me, where I can where I play. You want to give it a plug? I do. Uh, it's called uh, the Turning Point, and uh, there's another club uh, that has a jazz jam session called the Seventy Six House, and they're both like Piermont, New York uh, area, and. Uh, I do jam sessions there, so I've been doing more. I think I've done more jam sessions. Well, I think I went to more when I was like 18, 19, <laughs> and I was trying to learn. But uh, I've done more jam sessions lately, and it, it, something bugs me a little bit is is when guys don't, they play music from the f- late 50s, early 60s, or even maybe even late 40s, early 50s, and then they try and play it sort of like with a 70s kind of, 80s kind of style. It, it doesn't match. And and I hear the drummer doing some 70s kind of thing, and then the piano's doing something 50s, and the bass is, you know, isn't really matching up with what's going on. And, and the music is just all over the place because so many different, too much information from different areas that doesn't really complement each other. So... Um, you know, that, that that's another thing that that kind of whereas if you listen to the style of the late 50s bebop stuff to me i mean like i said i'm not a historian but just seeing what's going on what was happening and logically and the little bit of that i know about the history of the music and talking to people and listening to interviews and my and listening to my dad who's also a musician and that was his era you know um they were coming out of dance. They were coming out of a, a out of dance, and and you can hear it in the playing. These are guys that played for dancers and knew how to dance. A lot of the generation, next generation, got away from that, and then the next generation further away, and the next generation even further away. And I bet you a lot of musicians nowadays that they they can't dance to jazz. Right, and if you couldn't if you couldn't get people on their feet. You weren't you were, happening. You were not getting the kick. Whenever I played for my father's family in that generation, 
they always apologize. Even though I was playing music that wasn't really danceable, they would apologize for not dancing. Because when live music was being played, you moved your feet, you danced. That's what was happening. And you can hear that, that in the playing. We have an expression in Uganda. It says, good music is wasted if you don't dance. Well, that, that, that was certainly the philosophy, you know. And I think you, you can hear that in the playing. And, and Horace Silver, to me, he almost epitomized that. He, if you even if you watch him playing, he looks like a lunatic. I mean, his hair's <laughs> going all over. His arms are going a mile a minute, and he is he's drumming. It's kind of like Latin music went stayed in that African direction, and uh, everybody's drumming. Every single line is related to the drum rhythms, and is all set by the tumbao, and 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 the clave dictates what's happening, whereas jazz kind of moved away from that but in Horace Silver's era you hear you can hear the left hand growls where he's covering he's drumming he's covering the harmony he's covering the rhythm and he's covering the melody it's not you know I always compare I I talk to some kids I say your music is like music is like a pizza and my music from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, there's cheese, there's meat, there's, there's the, the, the crust, a really good sauce, excellent sauce. All that makes up a pizza. You're all Your cheese, me- son. Yeah, music <laughs> is like, no, there's no cheese. 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 It would be good if there was cheese. It's just the crust and some salt. That's it. That's all you got. It's like, where's the rest? That's not a pizza. It's got to have sauce and some toppings That's and this. It. and I mean, you know, so, so. I think in terms of musicians, too, it, 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 to me, it, you know, you're going to play the jazz that I really like. It, it, it still has that connection to, to, to rhythm and not just a connection to rhythm. Each individual player is, has got some interesting thing happening, rhythmic. It's all working together to create a serious feeling and groove. And, uh, and it's not... You know, I've seen some avant-garde guys where there's almost no tempo, but somehow the feel and the groove is just vicious. So I'm not just talking about metronomic, you know, time beat where you that's easy to dance to, quote unquote. Uh, I'm just mean that like the music actually is, is working together. It's not. I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing, and everybody's doing their thing, and, and, and it's not really working together. It may be interesting, but it's it's not the same kind of togetherness that they had. And you can hear that in his playing. So in this recording, listen to his left hand especially. Yes. Yes. His left hand, I mean, especially in the in some of the recordings that you picked out here in, in this, this particular period of his life, he's really... That left hand is. It almost sounds like he has three arms. And he's <laughs> yeah. covering the very bottom with his growls and 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 the the stride piano, extra bass notes, uh, and then he's covering he's covering the harmony with 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 the mid range left hand, and then he's covering everything else with the right hand, and it's 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 really a treat to, to yeah. listen to. 
Yeah. So try not to listen to Woody Shaw's ferocious solo. <laughs> try not to listen to Joe Henderson's utterly distinctive tenor saxophone stylings. Tune out Larry Ridley on the bass. And whatever you do, ignore Roger Humphreys on the drums. And check out what Har Silver is doing. Even when he's not soloing, he's playing more piano than most guys play when they solo. It's a little scary. We're at the half note. This was kind of one of the spots where the cats hung out. The guys went to hear each other play. Everybody played there. Um, and thankfully, Alan Grant hosted and somebody recorded a bunch of them because we've had some great shows from Coltrane, from West Montgomery. I mean, everybody came through this place in the mid-'60s. It was at uh, Hudson and Spring Street. And let's go. The show's called Deep Focus. Bill Ware's our guest. And we got some killer music for you right now from Horace Silver. I'm Mitch Goldman on WKCR. We'd like to uh, do another tune from our latest Blue Note album. Uh, this particular number was inspired by some African folk music, the uh, little thing we call the African Queen. Thank you. 
unquestionably one of our great groups in jazz, Horace Silver with the quintet. This is Alan Grant here at WABC-FM, the stereo sound of ABC in New York, live here from the half-noted Hudson and Spring. Horace with the quintet and Sonny Rollins with the quartet will be appearing here, of course, tonight and tomorrow, and Sonny on Sunday night. And then starting Tuesday, it'll be Lenny Tristano with a quartet featuring Warren Marsh, and on the weekend, joining us for our broadcast here at WABC-FM in stereo, if Paul Thoreau is cool, she's listening, yeah. will be Kenny Durham with the quintet with the Sunny Red. Here's a voice. Horace, we'd like to do for you right now the uh, title tune from our new Blue Note album, The Cape Verdean Blues. Thank you. 
the Cape Verdean Blues on Blue Note Horace Silva with the quintet. This is WABC-FM, the stereo sound of ABC in New York. In addition to being heard in the area, we're being heard on Armed Forces Radio Network throughout the world, too. Tomorrow afternoon, Saturday at 3, we have our jazz matinee show from 3 until 6, and then I am back with you at 10 tomorrow night with our sounds of the big band with leans toward jazz. <laughs> wow. Well, don't go looking for any of that stuff that he's talking about, <laughs> unless you can take yourself back to 1966. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you might just just plan care, pack carefully before you go. But uh, yeah, a little. I love these little uh, windows into those moments of time. Like, yeah. If you just uh, tuned in, you might have missed him talking earlier. That Tony Williams in the house. Yep. Just part of the audience. Six, 1966, just coming to the end of his years with Miles. And uh, maybe sitting there thinking about what he was going to do next. Yeah. But, maybe. Or maybe just blown out of his chair by Horace Silver's left hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly would have been. Bill Ware is our guest tonight. We call the show Deep Focus, and he is putting a whole new meaning to that phrase, talking about Horace Silver. You have been doing the work exploring this music and thank you for 
sharing with us what you brought back from your travels into the world of sound. Yeah, well, you know, it uh, doesn't really go to do any, anyone else any good besides myself if it just sits in my head, so... <laughs> You know, my manager must pushes me out to 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 get my uh, my thoughts and my music and my ideas out there into the world. But Sometimes I know. think I, uh, if it was up to me, I would I would <laughs> stay in my <laughs> basement in, yeah. and never share any of it. It's its own reward, though, right? I mean, you know, the deeper you go, yeah. I mean, it, it's always to me. It, it's almost I don't know, for lack of a better term, it, it's like a. It's kind of a, a spiritual uh, uh, experience for me because, like I said, something seems to send me in a direction all the time, and and, and I'm I'm kind of blessed that way and cursed at the same time because some some people have a very narrow focus and they go in one direction and they're very focused on that one thing, and nowadays I, sometimes at least in terms of financial success, those kind of people are often more successful because they have the one thing and they're just going to focus on that and get that one thing happening. Whereas uh, um, I'm all kind of all over the place, but uh, it's always an, yeah, it's an exploration for me. Uh, I mean, you know, if I went to the, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, you can go to the moon and then spend the rest of your life selling the moon rocks that you collected. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or you can tr- travel all over space and learn all kinds of fantastic things. And and that that's kind of like what I like to do. And, I, and uh, I'll, I'll stay and do a deep dive into s- some area. But it's always, I just kind of let the universe tell me which direction to go and it's always almost like a little voice in my head that says hey check this out because and then uh, usually a lot of things fall into place all around that like the time I I I, when I was in high school my sister got into Latin music she was listening to a lot of salsa machito and Tito Puente and I hated it. <laughs> to me, it all sounded the same. It was like, what are you kidding me? But um, uh, as I matured a little better, and uh, when I started to study that music, so suddenly I, I, I was playing music on the street, and this guy comes up to me, and uh, and he says, oh, you seem to have a really good feel for Latin music, and, and like a lot of younger jazz cats my age, you know, you touched on Latin music, but it was touching. Yeah. You know, you had, you knew a few rhythms and you played those and that got you over and that, that was my extent. And I, I said, well, you know, I have what I have and I don't really know real Latin music. So he, he had a charanga band. <clears throat> I'd never even heard of that kind of music. But I was, of course, a college student and desperate for work <laughs> and money. And, uh, yeah, whatever it is, uh, my eyes lit up. So my, what? Oh, you want me to do something? Oh, okay. Whatever it is, I can do it. Right, <laughs> so right. He said, would you like to arrange for my band? And I said, well, you know, give me some records, and I'll check it out. I, I, I don't know if I can do it or not. So he gave me some Chito and Johnny Pacheco and uh, Tito Puente. And when I listened to it, from a musician standpoint and started to try and understand what was going on, I realized, whoa, this is a lot deeper than than the music that I thought I hated. And I spent 
did the same thing. Of course, I didn't have computer in those days, but and then next thing I knew, I get a buddy, a call from a buddy from Columbia High School, where I went to school in Maplewood, New Jersey, and he says, uh, "You know, I heard that you're playing. Uh, you play bass guitar still, right?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, I, I still play a little bass." And uh, he said, "Yeah, well, this guy is looking for a bass player, and it's salsa." I don't know if you ever played any of that before. I said, no, of, of course not. He said, but the charts, I'm writing the music, and all the bass parts are written out. So you can learn the style, you know, and, and it's not that difficult And once you get the style. So, boom. It's like one thing led right to the next, and that, you know, I, I learned a lot of stuff. It led me into a whole different direction. I studied with this great Cuban uh, drum, uh, drummer, Roberto Burrell, who was the uh, director for the Cuban National Ballet. He was one of the original Marielitos that came over. Um, and so uh, really great opportunity for him. And, and my drummer at the time was Vince Cherico, who was at that time was Vince Schmelskoff. And uh, <clears throat> Vince uh, uh, really, he's like one of the leading players now on for uh, Latin music applied to drum set. So... Uh, uh, it was quite a. It was a great experience for myself and for for Vince that we we lucked upon meeting him. It's a funny story how I met. Actually, it's getting off the Horace Silver Trail, but it's okay. It's, it's a funny right. story how I met him. Actually, uh, uh, I, I was uh, Vince and I used to play drums on the street together. Another one of these street stories, and uh, <clears throat> and we're playing drums on the street, and. Uh, I think we were, might have been my Madison Square Garden. I think it was downtown, somewhere near a park, maybe near Battery Park. So we're playing, and there, no, 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 take that back. It was by Central Park. That's where it was. I knew it was near a park. Brain cells are getting a little thin these days. <laughs> so so we're, we're playing, and we just finished playing a bunch of tunes, and the crowd is starting to disperse, and this one cute girl left sitting on a bench somewhere, and I was very shy in those days and he was like man i think that girl's checking you out you should go talk to her and i was like uh, 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 come on man and vince was egging me on come on go talk to her go talk to her come on gotta see so i walked over and that's i ended up we ended up dating for a while and she had some good friends who were playing latin music and her ex-boyfriend who was in town was a tres player and and that's uh, so I met him. Oh, would you like to play with these guys? Oh, yeah, sure. And then I met him, and he was hanging out with Roberto Burrell. So I got in, into the and they were looking for a bass player who could read. And uh, so I, I got into that, and that's how I met. That's how Vince and I both met Roberto Burrell. So just a happenstance, follow your follow your nose kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, coming and, at it, and it led in some some really great places. I know lots of good friends in Switzerland now and the, my relationship with Roberto was, was invaluable because he, he really taught me uh, Afro-Cuban rhythms and and, and uh, a lot of different styles of music. We went down to Colombia together. Wow. It was a fantastic experience. But sometimes, you know, I follow my nose and uh, and with this particular project that, uh, that I did uh, with uh, Horace Silver, similar kind of thing and I just sort of follow my nose and and it led down to some some really wonderful places in terms of studying him and then 
in terms of I did mention my own project is I have a, a, a part of my criterion for this study was okay I'm going to do that that's going to be the first half is studying Horace Silver the second half was I had a whole con- the, the bebop music they started out playing rhythm and blues that was the re- repertoire to jam on for jamming purposes you know then you start jamming on songs. The songs that they jammed on were songs from their childhood. I mean, take for example, uh, um, not sure who wrote it because different people have claimed (laughs) ownership of it, but I think Charlie Parker gets credit for writing Donna Lee and uh, whoever wrote it. um, uh, It was based on yeah. The chord progression from back in Indiana. So you have a song from their childhood, converted, contrafact. That's a contrafact is when you base a song off of another song. <clears throat> so I thought I would take that same idea, take songs from my childhood, mm-hmm. which was the 60s right. and 70s, take songs from my childhood and do the same contrafact ideas. And that was the second part of the criteria. So I was going to write a series of compositions that were contrafacts based on. Then I set up a whole set of criteria with that. That involved a whole nother series of studying. But so I took these songs, did the same thing. I dropped them in my sequencer. I timed them, which means you, you get the metronome to run along by making a tempo map. You make uh, get the tempo to run along with the recording, and then to make it. I find that creating a formula keeps a certain consistency if you stick with the formula. And you have a lot of leeway, of course, in how you go about each tune within that formula, but always having those basic things. So what I did, my formula was, it's going to be 230 beats per minute to 300 beats per minute is going to be my tempo set. And then uh, I'm going to have these songs. They're going to be contrafacts based on certain songs so I grabbed some songs uh, uh, the Jackson 5's I Want You Back um, uh, the Spinners uh, 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 what else uh, One is the Loneliest Number mm-hmm. uh, The Letter mm-hmm. you know the song yeah, The yeah, Letter sure, sure. Um, My Guy mm-hmm. uh, what else uh, Dionne Warwick did uh, a baby love. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are just those are some of the songs that I, that I picked, and uh, interesting songs because they're pop songs. And I decided to keep the entire melody as the head. So some of them I did. Uh, what's a um, circle in a spiral? What's uh, the official name of that tune? I can't I can't remember some of the titles. I just remember my titles now. <laughs> But um, some of the one of them the longest form was seventy bars because the the song is is seventy bars long. The Jackson Five song it's pretty long when you when you consider the verse and the chorus and the verse and chorus verse. I made that whole thing the head. So some of them are, are pretty long. So that that was the second criteria. And then I had a formula for actually how how I manufactured the tunes. First, I would take it the original song get the original chord progressions which were kind of pop hokey some of those 
They're Pop really interesting chord yeah. changes, but not to play a jazz, yeah. not to play, not for swing, yeah. not for bebop, and you know, that's another thing they did. That they added so many chords within within the structure yeah. that was already right. there. Back to, to the Donnelly example, yeah, yeah. To add more more harmonic movement and make it in, more interesting for the soloist. Uh, so that that's that's another thing. That was a stage that had to go through. So I took the, the original chords, the original bass line, the original melody, and then from there I made a jazz bass line, which is a walking bass line versus a figurative or rhythmic bass line. I make a jazz bass line. Then, uh, then I would make my bebop melody which is more, much more rhythmically fragmented, trying to keep elements of the original melody. And I would have the original recording playing along while I'm doing all this in the new tempo, of course. And to hear something like the Jackson 5 at, at 280 beats a minute is, is awesome. Wow, wow. <laughs> and so and you get new ideas but you try and keep the flavor of the original composition there is kind of crucial to to making it because that that was a like i think part of the thought process for me at least is that was a hit yeah people know yeah. that and they can relate to it in some kind something about hits that you know you can listen to the radio and you can always tell like uh i listen to a lot of these oldies stations the soul stations you can tell when they're playing a B-side, just something is not popping about, <laughs> something's not grabbing you about that song. That's why it was a B-side. Yeah, and yeah. So I wanted to take hits, and, and, and it, it's easier to write on top of hits because somebody put a lot into that. So you just you don't have to do all those steps to find that. You have that formula ready, and then you can go on from there. So that, that was the idea. And then uh, last but least, not least, is the actual the chords once I have the new melody, I can kind of work in where the new chords will go and get farther away from the original chords. Not too far away that it's something else, but add a little bit here. You know, if a five chord goes on for two bars, you don't, that's just not, you know, <laughs> you can turn that into something more interesting harmonically for the soloist. So that's, that's basically what I did. You are listening to WKCR-FM New York, or perhaps WKCR-HD1, maybe WKCR.org, or maybe somebody made a cassette of this and they're, you're playing it in the car <laughs> driving to Chicago. Oh, I don't know. But I, I hope not. <laughs> we call this show Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman here in the studio with Bill Ware. We're uh, tangentially talking about Horace Silver, and we're going to get back to that. But I have to ask you, you just uh, gave an in-depth analysis of this project, com writing, mm -hmm. writing project that you were involved in. Is this stuff, is this available to? It's not available now. It may become available. It's kind of an, it's such an odd thing. Um, I mean, to me, it's an odd thing. I, I'm, I, I don't know that much stuff that's out there. Some people know every record that comes out. I'm not one of those guys, but um, f to me, it seems like an odd thing. I, I've never heard. You of, say odd like it's bad. 
Well, I, I don't know if it's bad or good. I, I, I would leave that to others to judge. To me, it's awesome. I love listening to, <laughs> yeah. to the stuff. I want to hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hopefully we're teasing the audience and That's they right. want to hear it. That's but, right. But um, uh, to me, uh, I don't know if there's an audience for a computer-generated <laughs> musical character mm. because that's basically what the piano chair is. It's a computer... I don't know how. I don't even know how to. Dis- it's so hard to describe. If you have a project that's hard to describe, it's not a good. It's like how do I describe what this is? And people, when I say computer generated, people think of you know, take me to your leader or something you along this in musical. Pitch. Yeah, in, uh, in musical well, terms, you know. Yeah. And how does that work? How does the computer actually make the notes? How does that you know? Yeah. How do they, they don't understand well, templates you see, and tiny and, little men inside and <laughs> they press down on the keys. It's very and technical. They, they, and they're easy to feed. All I have to do them is give some pockies. That's, that's all right. they'll eat. That's, that's well, they're Japanese. You yeah. Know, so. yeah, they're little Japanese guys. You know. <laughs> and and yes, Bill does know Baby Love was not Dion Warwick. So no, you don't have to no. call to tell us that. No, there was another Dion Warwick tune I'm trying to think of. Um, no, my guy was, was it Mary, my guy. My, yeah. That's a Mary Wells, I think. Yes. And, uh, and Baby Love by, of course, uh, uh, um. Supremes. Supremes. Um, Diana. Diane, Diana Ross. But, uh, no, there's, there's, uh, one of the Burt Rack, Bacharach uh. ones is, I'm trying to think of, I, I, like I said, I forget the original t- titles now. So, I'll, th- it'll come to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a Dion Wall. <laughs> well, he, she didn't write it. No, he's got some. There's some music in those Burt Backrack songs. Oh, Burt Backrack, excellent chords, excellent chords to contrafact. Uh, another show we're gonna do another time, or maybe we should just change the name of the show to the, the Sidebar Show. <laughs> you and I, I don't think we've ever discussed this on the air or off. Share the love. Of Stevie Wonder, the composer. Oh, oh yeah, and which you have also explored. Yeah, that's another a whole, uh, a whole record of Stevie stuff. Yeah, that's care. a that's a night of entertainment yeah. ahead. So uh, something to look forward to. But tonight we are in the throes of Horace Silver, and um, if you've been listening all the way through this that last set, we played two compositions: African Queen and Cape Verdean Blues. And Bill, you did a great job of talking. Uh, through uh, some of the magic of Horace Silver's piano playing, especially his left hand. We didn't really hear it on African Queen, but it did start to emerge on Cape Verdean Blues, and I think we're going to hear it some more on the next track, Nutville. Yeah, Nutville. That's one of the tunes that I uh, transcribed, actually. Ah. Well, that's another, and you do have some of that stuff that we could play. Yeah, I I do have some of uh, some of the project, so... Um, Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll keep teasing them nah. about my, they can't wait to hear this computer gen- they can't wait to hear my boy Horace Quick <laughs> you, my son <laughs> it's WKCR you're, 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 in the, you're in the place to be I don't know what else to tell you Nutville we're at the half note Yes, Spring and Hudson it's a hot Friday night not a hot Monday night, a hot Friday night, yeah. 1966, on WKCR. 
Horace with the Quintet. Horace, uh, we'd like to continue with a little tune we call Nutville. You want to dedicate it to anyone? If the shoe fits, it's for me, all right. <laughs> That is part one of three parts. There's two more parts waiting for you. It was Monday, August 30th, 2015. Bill Ware in the studio with me. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, for a program we call Deep Focus. Our subject was the wonderful Horace Silver. And hey, if you haven't subscribed to Deep Focus, you might want to do that. You can do that at your favorite podcasting app. You can always find us at our hosting site, which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And uh, if you're digging it, please do let the folks know. And what I'm saying is please like us, preferably with five stars on your podcasting app, because uh, we don't make any money from this. Not that I need you to give me a pat on the back. But what I'm told is that it helps people who don't know about the show and might love it find out about it. So we would really appreciate that if you could do that. 
for them. One thing we ask in return. Other than that, I don't know. Come on along. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We are Deep Focus Podcast. We'd love to see you join us, and that's a good way to get feedback to us and meet people who love the crazy music that you love. I don't think it's crazy. I don't know. People who don't know it think it's kind of crazy or like to say that. They're going to come around. They will come around. But you know what? We're not waiting for them. <laughs> All right. Go uh, check out some more of the episodes and uh, tell us what you think. Hope you're having fun. Deep focus.